Oscar Poker. a spell on you because you're mine stop the things you do I think that both Sasha and I are so, um, uh, uh, you know, in the moment and cognizant of everything that we've forgotten entirely what opened last weekend. I've forgotten, in any case. What did open last weekend? Well, last weekend, was that was just holdovers. No, nothing new opened. Nothing happened. Okay, then I'm not... Yeah. not <laughs> so you didn't, you didn't miss much. Um, but, I mean, yeah, there was a bunch of, you know, noteworthy stuff happening in terms of the Oscar contenders expanding. And, uh, you know, the big news is I'm not overly impressed with how the artist is doing. Right. I, I'm not getting a kind of, you know, it, it expanded to 167 locations and it didn't really. From what? Expanded from what? Uh, I, I think it was at 16 before okay. that. Okay. So, so it's the know, first. this wasn't really a big expansion, but it was a, uh, a modest sort of, um, you know, not uh, that that's by, by most people's definition, that's not really much of an expansion. That's just a incremental uh, addition of screens, right? Yeah, I mean, it's just dipping their toes in the water a little bit more. Yeah. It's not committing to much at this point. And, I mean, it's up to about $5.4 million, which is... Bad. It's not a, It's not bad, really, um, but it doesn't... I, I'm, not, I'm not getting a, you know, must-see vibe from it. It's not um, a King's Speech of, type of thing, right? No, not by any means yet. And, well, which is strange, because the, the you know, the tide is turning in its favor and it's and it's still you know considered by most to be the best picture favorite so either that's not connecting with mainstream audiences or or something but or they don't care they they hear that and they say well it's going to win best picture but I just don't care. people right, are declaring right. that it's the best picture or are living on their own planet and that the people who pay to see films are on another planet and never the twain shall meet yeah yeah i think there's a disconnect here absolutely 100 percent between you know, People in New York and LA who are engrossed in the culture that's, you know, really buying into this movie and really loving it. And, you know, people who go to movies four or five times a year in the middle of the country. You know, uh, there's there's an absolute you know disconnect. This morning Sasha pointed out that um the uh the early wave of critics groups and 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 SAG and everything, that's kind of changed, you think, Sasha, and people are not automatically defaulting to the artist for best picture? Is that what you think? Um, I'm not sure what, what happened there. But, yeah, I think that early on they were saying the artist, but then there was enough grumbling about it that I think peop- the critics group seemed to want to um, backlash against that, and they backlash against the King's Speech. Well, who knows? Who knows what the reason yeah. was? But 
Yeah. They didn't want to be sheep or whatever. They didn't want to go with the flow. So the L.A. film critics surprisingly picked The Descendants. And then the... That's because they were being openly begged on Twitter. Please don't... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stupid. They should pick Myself what they and think. Chris Tapley and, and, uh, and uh, um, uh, Brad Brevett and people saying, please, please don't do this. So annoying. Why was that lame? It's annoying to me because you guys are, well, not you, but like they're all like all about War Horse. It's like, give me a break. You think you can talk about taste in movies? That's why they were saying <laughs> that, you think? They felt that War Horse was being unfairly... No, no. I'm just using that as an example of people who think they know. I mean, oh. I'm not saying they don't know. Everything's a matter of opinion. You know, you can't, you can't pretend that you have a, necessarily a better opinion than someone else. Everybody likes their own movies, but uh -huh. what gets me is... I'm always having to argue with people about quality, and, and yet they come out with a War Horse was a great movie review, and, and that immediately, to me, dismantles their argument because <laughs> if you're going to say War Horse is a great movie, you have to follow it by saying, sure, it has some very weak points. It has a lot of sap and melodrama, but dot, 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 it still won me over. People who don't say that, uh -huh. either they're not being honest or... I'm sorry, but something is terribly wrong, you know, with the wiring in their brain. <laughs> no, yeah. just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about a way to get people to hate you for life. No, I don't mean it that way. I just well, mean there really that. is something wrong with the wiring in your brain. If you genuinely think that the war horse does it on all fronts, I can understand someone being emotionally susceptible to that film. Right. Uh, a, a, a publicist whom I consider to be a, a really good person and a friend, Bumble Ward at 20th Century Fox, she told me recently that she's just been a horse lover all her life, and it just touched her in a place that she couldn't resist. And mm. she's not stupid. She knows mm -hmm. what she's talking about, but she, it just got to her. So, you know, sometimes movies just, just touch you in the right way. But sure, they do. To, to have no awareness of the, of the uh, you know, hoary manipulations that this film engages in and, and, and to, to discount it. And that's essentially what she's doing. She said, I don't care. I, it's got me anyway. So, um, yeah. You know. I, I sort of felt that way about We Bought a Zoo. Like, you know, inexplicably loved that movie, even though I know it's not <clears throat> it's not his best. And it's got a lot of problems and it's sappy. And it's, but for some reason, that one, um, I was able to forgive the flaws. And with War Horse, I wasn't. I guess because with Spielberg, I expect more. You know, I think he's capable of making a great war film out of this. And I think so. My expectations were probably a little too high, you know, yeah. going in. And maybe if I, if I had expected it to be what it was, um, there are just some Spielberg movies you can't fix. You know, they're never going to be great movies like always, or, yeah. uh, you know, they're just always going to be really sappy, really sentimental films. And some people are going to love them. And some people aren't like I've seen always many, many times. I don't know if I could ever even sit through war horse again. For one thing, it's too emotionally wrenching. I do yeah. cry all the way through it, and I'm not really willing, wanting to go back and revisit that. But also, I don't really want to see all that stuff go down toward the right. end with the auction and all that clumsy plot yeah. development, you know? But enough about War Horse. Anyway, back on to the artist. Um, so, what, Phil, can I just ask one thing before? I don't want to get off the thing. What should, if the artists were really um, taking off and really uh, catching fire with, with, with ticket buyers... Um, maybe you can draw an analogy to some previous um, uh, film along these lines. What do you think it should be doing at, as we speak with the number of theaters that it's in? What would be a really vigorous um, 
box office response? Well, let me put it this way. I mean, if they were really secure in its you know, commercial potential, it wouldn't have just gone to 167 locations um, during this expansion. I think it would have given it a little more credit, you know, closer to maybe 500 instead of, you know, let's get behind this. So, I mean, at this point, I'd, I'd be more comfortable if its gross was closer to 10 million. That to me would indicate, okay, this is catching on. You know, right. people are listening to the buzz and they're listening to the reviews and they're saying, let's take a chance on this. But I just don't think enough people are at that point yet. And I don't know how much, you know, I don't know how much um, it being included in the, the Best Picture nominees is really going to change that. It's It will, it'll help, but, mm-hmm. you know. Have you guys ever seen, just on a, an aside, have you seen a... Pre, the, any of the TV previews for for the film? No. no. Okay. This is a really awkward thing, and I haven't seen many of them, but they popped up on CNN occasionally. Mm-hmm. It's um it's boxed out. It's there's a, you know the black bars around it because it, they preserve the the ratio of it. Uh huh. So that's kind of really awkward, and you you have to think that you know the t- the whole idea of a TV blitz is still very popular. That's still how um this, the distributors get the idea of a movie out to people by just flooding TV with commercials and right. for the commercials on TV to look awkward like that. It's, I don't know. It's, it's a scary thing. And I think that's Ma- hurting a little bit. I do think that, um, I might have to call you back, Phil, cause you're breaking. Do you hear Phil breaking up Jeff? Or is it just I hear me? some static somewhere. Yeah. Um, hmm. I might have to call you back. It might be on some, whoever's called line. I might have to try that, but I just wanted to say really quickly is, is that when I took my screener pile up to Christmas, you know, Nobody really wanted to put on the artist. And it wasn't because of any reason except for the fact that it was black and white and silent. Nobody wanted to watch it because of that. Like, they didn't care about any other thing except, I don't want to sit through this, you know? So I think that's going to hurt it. I do think that word of mouth is going to slowly spread, but I don't think you are you are any longer looking at a Best Picture frontrunner at all for that reason. And I think War Horse came along and kind of took its thunder at the box office where... The King's Speech, I mean, King's Speech, where the artist should have been catching fire and, and, and uh-huh. you know, taking this part of the year, War Horse came out and kind of did that, right, Phil, would you say? Yeah, I mean, War Horse is off to a, a great start. It's already at $45 million, which is pretty insane. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, it's it's hitting kind of the same older audience that True Grit really, um, you know, yeah. tickled. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's the same thing. It's and people aren't necessarily rushing out to see it either, um, because Disney's been overestimating it the last couple of days. You know, they released their four day estimates and they've been high, so that's a, a classic sign that they're they're pegging the audience as being younger than it actually is. It's wow. it's skewing older for sure. It's a it's a juggernaut. I mean, it's huge. You know, for it to be at forty five million dollars already is a great sign. There's I'd be really surprised if it didn't hit a hundred million dollars. Mm. At this point, because it'll get another boost from you know making the the cut in terms of best picture nominees. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's the you know it's the big heavy hitter in terms of box office this year. Um, you know because Descendants is kind of I don't know how to describe what Descendants is doing. I mean it's mm. still only at 760 locations, so it hasn't even gone you know fully wide yet. So they're waiting it's for Oscar a, nominations, I think, right? It, yeah, it has to be. I mean, once it once it gets the Best Picture nomination, then they'll bump it to, I would think, at least closer to, you know, 1,500, 2,000. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I still think that has a pretty decent shot. I mean, I it's at too. 40, 41 million right now around. So I think that could still hit, I mean, 
you know, that, that's still looking at 80 what million. What we're saying about I like, that, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I mean, it has what, in a smallish way, it has legs. It's persistent. It's not going away and dropping out of sight. It's still there. So that means something, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a, it's a movie that, you know, it skews older and people are really in no rush to see it. You know, it's, it's getting plenty of recommendations. People know they want to see it, but, you know, it's there. It's, it's not going anywhere. And mm-hmm. if, if anything, it's just going to be expanding to more locations and, and you know, more intelligent adults will, will discover it. There's, mm-hmm. there's absolutely no reason to panic. And, you know, yeah. I wish it's hard for a movie to do that in, in the atmosphere of, you know, blockbusters every weekend. It's, yeah. it's right. a very difficult thing to do, and it's, it's pulling that off. Right. Yeah, and it's to me the campaign because we all know what Fox Searchlight is capable of, and I like their sort of snake in the grass um, approach. I have a feeling that when they really want to put on the gas, they will. They're waiting. They don't want it to do what Up in the Air did and totally peter out. So they're keeping kind of quiet. I think that's my impression of them and their campaign. Mm-hmm. But I feel like when things start to really happen, then you're going to see the Fox Searchlight machine, what they can do, what they can really do. Remember the driving around town in the Juno truck and all that? <laughs> I mean, you yeah. know, we, we ain't seen nothing yet with what – I think they know they have a possible Best Picture winner here. Really, mm-hmm. it's the only film that can reasonably take on the artist, I think, Um a Warhorse and Hugo won't have acting nominations. That's a huge problem for them. Uh, the Help has a director problem. That's its big problem. Mm-hmm. And uh, Moneyball feels quiet. And um, The Descendants isn't out of theaters yet. And it has George Clooney. And, you know, once they, they just need to pedal to the metal, and I think it's going to, it could really do some damage. Can you explain um, what the director problem on The Help? is exactly just because the recognition of his name is not there. Is that what you mean? Yeah, he doesn't have he doesn't have that thing, that director thing, that sexiness that they like. You know, it did because he's not well known, he's not respected. He's not even Tom Hooper because Tom Hooper was British, automatically earns respect from them, Anglophiles that they are. <laughs> and he's also uh he directed John Adams, which everybody loved and the damn united so he's got the snob factor already built in he was at every single party on both coasts yeah non-stop he he didn't miss a a beat but he was he was known as a film guy and a tv guy tate taylor is known as an actor and he's um he's sweet he's honest he's the real deal he's homespun you know he's like um, I was like, you know, well, Tate, can you tell me what it was like growing up in Mississippi with uh, Catherine Stockett? I mean, did you feel segregation? Did you feel? No, it was great. <laughs> it was great growing up in Mississippi. We had a great time, you know. I mean, he's wonderful. I love him, but he's not like the guy that is going to sit there and have like a, an intimate talk with Charlie Rose about racism in Mississippi. You know, he's not that guy. That's why the help isn't that movie, you know. Um, he's wonderful and warm and brilliant and, um, as a person, in my opinion, because he's the real deal. He's cut from whole cloth. He's not a fake, stupid Hollywood poser, you know? And I like that about him. And he took the help before it was ever even published and said, I'm going to make this movie and I'm going to direct it and I'm going to adapt it because you're my friend, Catherine, and we grew up together. We've known each other since they were five Mm -hmm. and DreamWorks or whoever it was, Disney, they were like, this is a fucking hot property, but 
who's this Tate Taylor? <laughs> but he uh, wouldn't let go of the script. He, you know, he's going to direct it no matter what. It's his lifelong dream realized. And so they couldn't make him budge. And event, you know, even after it was a bestseller and everything, they couldn't make Tate Taylor budge. So they finally agreed to give him the financing to do it. Well, he directs it. Huge hit, $160 million, you know, um, almost a Best Picture nominee, and yet nobody's willing to give Tate Taylor the time of day. So you tell me. You tell me what's wrong with this picture. I don't know. Something's wrong. Somebody somewhere along the line could have created a myth around him, and that's what you need to do. You need to make myths. You need to make a, a Clint Eastwood kind of myth out of this character. You need to sell his story, and it's a good story. It's just not the kind that the hipster, cynical crowd wants to buy or care about. It's the Billy Crystal joke. Apparently, the movie directed itself. Yeah, yeah. movie directed itself. So, of course, Driving Miss Daisy was nominated and won. I think it's the only film in Oscar history to win without a Best Director nomination. But the director of that was a fairly prestigious dude. You know, he was in the club, as they say. Tate Taylor's not in the club. All it's going to take is an Oscar nomination, I mean, a DGA nomination to get him in the club, but he's not in the club right now, you know. <clears throat> Weren't uh, we all saying at the very beginning when we first saw The Help that it was about a white girl saving the, uh, the, the fortunes of some African-American maids? Wasn't that basically the through line that everybody was repeating and understanding that was more or less what this film was? Um, yeah, you can look at it that way. No, I'm I'm asking because you said that, I said that, everybody said that. So what, are you saying that something has changed in the appreciation Um, or understanding of what film basically I think people are willing to let that go and get out of the way of something that's going to be successful. I mean, I have a bone to pick this year with people telling black people that their stories aren't being told appropriately and therefore selecting them out of the best picture race and the same with dragon tattoo all these uh elizabeth salander is not a good empowered female and she's not feminist and this and that oh david fincher said she wasn't feminist rooney mara said she wasn't feminist you know and so all these guys are are you know holding court about what feminine you know feminism is and what female empowerment is about elizabeth salander well here's the one movie that has you know a very strong female character who kicks Mm -hmm. ass Mm -hmm. and because it's not pc enough it's not you know it's not enough for, for, you know, white male film writers. It's going to be selected out for that reason. And, and that's what I don't want to see happen with The Help. I mean, it's a movie that made $100 million with black female leads. Do you know how rare that is for a movie that's not like I a Tyler? I totally appreciate what's, what it has done. It is a huge uh, hit with a, uh, with a very big uh, portion of the movie going public. And uh, but I'm asking you so to read my point is, are a bunch of white people going to really sit around and say this yeah. movie wasn't PC enough? And so therefore it's not respectable enough and therefore it can't win the Best Picture Oscar, you know, because what does that mean? Ten more years of white stories because white stories are movies you can't attack because nobody cares if they're PC enough. You know, they don't care if the, if the white male lead isn't PC. They only care if it's female and, and black uh-huh. actors. It's like, why should they have to bear the brunt of our culture that can't move forward that's my problem with it i also the other side of the help is that no matter who it is i'm talking to if it's not the artist they're saying that they loved it's the help my mom my friends my daughter her friends you know they all love this movie so where do we get off saying it's not right enough it's not it's not whitey guilt relieving enough 
for well, people not to like you're, it. you're saying that basically um, uh, people like myself or people like uh, Chris Tapley or, who, or whomever need to get out of the way of uh, yeah. the steamroller that it is commercially, culturally, in a, in a feminist sense. All, you know, all, this is too big. Just shut up, basically. And I, I understand what you're saying. I'm not saying that, that there's a... Uh, that I, I'm listening. I certainly listen and have heard what people feel, what you've expressed about it, what all your friends. So I'm not dismissing it, uh, but I, I really think it's kind of a, uh, it is the driving Miss Daisy of its day, of its time, uh, of our time. And I, I, I don't think it's a very uh, interesting film uh, uh, other than the wonderful great performances uh I, I love everybody in that film except frankly i don't like jessica chastain thought she was too hysterical but i love no you uh, mean uh, um bryce dallas howard I, and particularly bryce dallas howard yes I, um both of them i, I really thought that Je- jessica chastain was acting and and being uh, arch and artificial whereas in take shelter she was beautiful and perfect and i loved her of course as everybody else did in, in tree of life and um, I just didn't think it was that one of her better uh, performances. Mm-hmm. Well, for me, I look at it differently. I look at the Oscar race almost totally as a political event. And I don't think that a movie has to be named Best Picture because it's best politically correct, critic-approved Best Picture. I think it's okay if it's if the fucking King's Speech can win Best Picture, the help can win Best You know what I mean? It's You're like- basically saying the same thing that a person who is completely in love with Warhorse would say, which is, listen, you might have some issues with Steven Spielberg being a dishonest and manipulative and hackneyed uh, filmmaker who um, uses the same, uh, pushes the same buttons and pulls the same levers to, to deliver emotional impact. But this movie is huge, and my father loved it, and I've been a horse person. All- so why don't you just get there's away? No, there's no, side there is this- no through line to Warhorse. There's no, okay, so it's an anti-war. Well, it's not an anti-war message. It's a, our horse is fighting for our side, so he's appreciated as a war horse. It's not an anti-war. It's a pro-war, but just be on the right side. I don't think that it necessarily, I'm not saying it has to have a political message like I just said. Mm. It could be best picture. It's just, for me, where I draw the line is bad writing, bad Uh. directing. And I think that war horse is terrible writing and almost bad directing. It's good Mm -hmm. and bad. But the help... Say what you will about it, but the worst you can say about it is that it's PC. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not PC. Everything else is good. The writing is good. The directing is good. The acting is good, you know. So that's, to me, where you draw the line. If if the mm-hmm. movie's bad, it shouldn't win, you know. Mm-hmm. And I okay. think War Horse is, is good and bad. Good and bad. Tell you, as far as... Um... Can I, what do you think, in generally speaking, as far as the critical community, the industry, what will be seen by history by history now, five years, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, as the most embarrassing uh, best picture choice? If, will it be, uh, would it be uh, the, uh, the help? Would it be um, the artist or would it be Warhorse? What would be What would be the most uh, egregious choice, do you think? None of them are going to do very well. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> Looking back, let's face it. Bill, what do you have a but, feeling about that? Well, 10, 20 years from now, which would be, of the, those three, would be like, oh, the biggest groaner to look back upon? If- oh, hands down the artist, because I, there's nothing about that movie that's really speaks to anything that's greater in the human condition, I don't think. I yeah. mean, it's yeah. it's all about a very specific time in Hollywood yeah. and the 
about a guy, you know, being rejected and having to adapt. And, you know, yeah, I guess you can say that that's, you know, what we all go through as technology progresses, but I don't think it's universal enough. I don't think people will be watching it 10, 15 years down the road. I just don't see it. Whereas right. I see something like The Descendants or even Warhorse, um, mm-hmm. you know, because it has its fans. I see both of those movies, you know, holding up pretty well, you mm-hmm. know, as time goes by. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, by the way, Phil, what other, uh, we shouldn't get off this because we only talked about um, artists. What other indicators do you see amongst the, uh, the best of the year uh, uh, contenders uh, having, um, you know, some significant ups or downs in the box office over the weekend? Any other indicators that show weakness or strength? I like what a separation is doing, actually. I'm, I'm very encouraged by that. Um, it did 80K from only three locations mm-hmm. over the over the four-day. So that's that's really strong. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's um, – and Sony Pictures Classics is very good at – they're almost as good as um, Fox Searchlight at handling these you know, specialty releases. And they're doing a really excellent job of you know getting the word out about this, um, making sure that people know that – it's not the the snooty foreign movie this year that it, it's something that plays across the board, which it does. Um, so that's encouraging. And I think, you know, it, it's only going to help its status as the favorite to win, you know, the best foreign film Oscar. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so that just validates it. Did you uh, happen to see it commercially or did you see it at a screening? Where did you see it? I saw it at a screening, but I, I really can't wait to see it with a paying audience mm-hmm. because I think it is something that, it's something that's going to play really well. It's It's got such universal themes to it. I mean, it's such a tight, well-written, well-acted story that right. it, it transcends any kind of, you know, uh, you know, opposition people might have to, I don't want to sit in a movie theater and read. You know, I think it's mm-hmm. it has breakthrough potential. Absolutely. I'm, I'm not hearing anything from Sasha about this. Because <laughs> I'm so lame, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm going to go see it. <sighs> the thing is about the separation is I sort of wish that its buzz had started. I know you've been talking about it forever, Jeff, but I sort of wish that its um, buzz had started earlier because I really think from what I'm hearing in, a, in such a weak year as this that it could actually have made it into the best picture race if there was more time to build buzz and, and box office. It's just it's too late now because they're all voting right now. The 13th is the Oscar ballot deadline. And the, they made the call a long time ago that their play was to get the best foreign language feature Oscar, which they're probably going to do. And they decided, let's just wait until the very last day, December 30th, to open it commercially. Uh, obviously, with foreign language, it doesn't matter when it opens here. It's it's when it opens in its country of origin. Right. So, yeah. Uh, well, they have aren't they're also doing Midnight in Paris, right? So that's yeah. that's their big big best picture. Right. I don't think they really wanted to compete with their own um, yeah. best picture, but I do feel the buzz on that. And if if there were ten nominees, I'm, I feel sure that it would probably have a really good chance. At, but it needed everything that's happening right now needed to be pushed back like three months for it mm-hmm. to to get to land because DGA is about they're about to turn in their ballots. Most of them have already turned them in. Um, Ampus, a lot of them are voting right now. So if they haven't seen a separation, forget it. It's not going to happen, you know. But mm-hmm. the, the, for those who have seen it, it could get number one votes just because there's so many movies that are about nothing this year. Yeah. You know, and, and, and that sounds like it's about something, and it's got drama, and it's well-acted and well-written. I mean, those kind it's of movies. It's, like, so far above the the artist, the help, War Horse. It's so far above. It's not even funny. And, you know, just the way we are, the way the system is, you're saying – 
sagely, wisely, smart, uh, accurately that no one's going to, you know, but well, it's so much better. It's just amazing, you know. And there's I mean, no time. Like, if the Oscars were held in March and um, right now would be the time when people would just be getting their ballots and thinking yeah. about but everything happens so quick it's it now because of the date change that everybody votes exactly at the same time. And so whatever, that's why it's almost so easy to predict now. Yeah. You know? Okay. Well, I was slightly worried with that, that there'd be kind of an anti-Iran um, thing that would kick in. Because, I mean, Ahmadinejad is so hated, and but I'm, I'm glad that that's not happening. I mean, maybe I'm putting too much into it. I mean, but... Politics has to enter into yeah. the, the foreign film you, race a little bit. Sure. What comes you know. through, though, Phil, as you know, it's not, you know, you, you, see, you say to yourself when you come out of that film, Ahmadinejad is a Holocaust denier and a, and a whack job as far as I'm concerned, at least as far, along the lines of uh, what we expect from a, from a leader of a country. But uh, I will never think of Iran in, in terms of that guy alone. It's about these people who are real uh, flesh and blood people with real, you know, concerns and, and family issues, just like you and I have. So that's what you get from this film. You, you know, you stop thinking about Iran as, the, as kind of the bad guys or the, the, the weird guys or the mullahs. You think about them as real people. So. Yeah, and I think it's one of the film's real accomplishments that it, right. you know, anybody who has any negative stereotypes about people from that country would watch this movie and say, okay, you know, this is... You know, that's not the way it is. The way they're being painted in the mainstream media is not accurate of everybody living in that country. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah. As long as it's not like a, uh, you know, p- propaganda piece for the government, I don't think that it would really be a bad thing necessarily. That the way that controversy would brew is if they were doing something that was, you know, pro-terrorism or pro you know, pro-Iran government, but it doesn't sound like it is. I shouldn't talk about it since I haven't seen it. There's not the slightest... <laughs> echo of anything other than the fact that the uh, lead female character, who's the wife of the lead male character, uh, wants to leave the country. She wants to move given the current situation, she says, given the current circumstances, obviously alluding to the to the government and Mm -hmm. its uh, and its uh, theological uh, Mm -hmm. leadership. And she wants her daughter to have more of a chance to be uh to to have a full life and not be under the uh you know under the system that that tends to be paternalistic and and doesn't respect women uh the way uh more liberal governments and elsewhere do so and does she get the the big takeaway is too that it's just a very archaic system of justice they have there that's the thing that really resonated with me of you know i don't want to spoil anything but the way they make decisions in that movie is pretty it's just, you know, it's not a trial by jury. Let me put it that way. And, you know, it's funny. You know, it's, there's a judge character, a kind of a, he's kind of a, he's a representative of the judicial system, a single man sitting in a room listening to the facts. He didn't seem to be that crazy a guy. He was dealing with facts in what seemed to me like a relatively uh, open or fair-minded, intelligent manner. When the uh, reality, when the final turn of the, of the story happens, uh, which he is not, present that but he didn't seem to be ridiculously uh, biased against anybody did, did he to you yeah but i mean well, no he didn't but it's just scary to think that that's how yeah. decisions are made by one guy sitting at a desk in a room yeah. and if he turns one way or the other you're screwed you know that's a very yeah. dangerous notion to me and that's mm. one of the things that really you know stuck with me after watching the film 
Yeah. Um, the, uh, yeah. The, 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 the husband, the father, who is accused of brutality towards another woman, um, he is looking at jail time suddenly and a murder charge because of a, because of a um, miscarriage that had happened as a result of an alleged uh, violent act. And that was pretty serious. Uh, that, that hit me, too, also, I, I come to think of it. Um, does, does she get out? Huh? Does she get out? Who get out? Oh, it's not about the fate of the wife. It's not about political flight or, or leaving Iran. It's, um, she just says that's what she wants to do. That's the basis oh. of their uh, separation as a couple. He wants to stay and take care of his father. He's got a business and everything. And she wants to go elsewhere and have a, uh, more opportunity for her daughter. Basically, mm. her, her daughter is 12 years old, who is the daughter, incidentally, of, of, of Oscar Fahadi himself in mm. the film. Well, yeah, and Sasha, it's one of the great open-ended endings oh, yeah, in great. a long time. I mean, it's, it's perfect. The note it ends on is, is great. So, yeah. yeah you, you oh, right, because you don't it. know. That's right. You don't know, right? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like yeah. the 400 blows kind of ending. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds great. I can't wait to see it. I'm so excited. Now that it's playing in the theaters, I'll just go and see it. I requested a screener, but I didn't get one. So Yeah, I didn't get one either. <clears throat> that, I'm say, yeah, that makes three of us. And I wanted to <laughs> go down and, uh, and see what it actually felt like. And uh, it was really nice because I could see that you can tell right away word is out on it. There's a lot of people coming into that theater where I saw it at the Royal. I think that's the only place actually in Los Angeles it's playing, right, Sasha? I think what? so, yeah, mm-hmm. for now. Oh, so then the other two would be in New York then, I guess. Yeah. Listen, we're in 2012. I have this idea that we could uh, uh, briefly riff on the, uh, the the big movies of the, the coming year and uh, and give our spitball reactions to them. You want to do that briefly? Uh, we don't want to talk about the producer's guild. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yes, the very all-important, fascinating, riveting, exciting producer's guild uh, nominations. By all means, let's stop our, in our tracks and focus on what really matters. <laughs> Well, I'm going to think people are going to want to hear about the producer's guild. Absolutely. What? So, um, although Sasha, it's been uh, talked out. Real quick, guys, do you mind if um, yeah. I cut out here then? Since, no, okay. Phil. Because I got to run. I got some other things, and you know, What's that's not uh, box office next weekend. Same kind of dull situation, right, Phil? Nothing. Uh, yeah, it's the devil inside. You know, another yeah. found footage horror movie. Um, you know, mm. whatever. It's, it's when serious. is the Mark Wahlberg film open up? That's the weekend after that. Okay. Um, that's yeah. That's the thirteenth. But yeah, I mean, but, it, next weekend will still be interesting because I mean, this is this is where you know the the rubber hits the road for yeah. these Oscar contenders, and they they either fall off to the side if they're not commercially viable, or they they gain momentum. So it's it's always fascinating at this time of year to to see which movies have it and which ones don't. So. Well, what do we think about Hugo and Dragon Tattoo? Just lay it on the line. Oh, Hugo, yeah. I mean, there, there was no stopping that. From the opening weekend, you knew it was a disappointment. But whatever. It is what it is. Martin Scorsese's still going to get checks, and it's it's still a worthwhile movie. Sasha, I'm, I'm on your side on this one. Um, <laughs> made a lot of money overseas? Um, I don't see it being a I, – I don't know what the overseas tallies are offhand, but they're not huge. It's not going to be a – the overseas stuff won't save it. Okay. Um, it's still a very American movie. Does it have um, time to build up anything so it'll at least break even? Mm, breaking even is going to be tough for this because I heard I, the budgets are the budget numbers I've heard are pretty high. One seven five. Yeah, and that's you know that's um, I don't know if that's counting what they spent on advertising the thing. So. No, nope, that's just production alone. Yeah, so no way, no way does this thing break even. It, it loses money, but whatever. I mean, it's something that will stand the test of time and. Uh, Dragon Tattoo, um, 
you know, for that to for some, for a movie like that to be at sixty million, which is where it's at now. I mean, that's you're looking at another probably hundred million dollar uh, nice. movie. Um, so yeah, it, it crossed over in a big way for a movie like that to do that. You have to put it, you have to lump it in the same league as you know Seven and Signs of the Lambs and, and Hannibal as nice. a movie that's you know about a serial killer that crossed over into the mainstream. So I'm I'm pretty impressed with that. I think. Some people in the the press expected more out of it just because of how much hype there was and, you know, David Fincher's directing and and all this and, you know, the Daniel Craig Bond is in it, blah, blah, blah. And they expected it to be this massive juggernaut of a a movie, but I never expected it to do that. $100 million for a movie with, you know, anal rape scenes and, you know, a lot of high-tech gadgetry and, and everything like that is a is a huge success. So. And Rooney Mara, I mean, it's like if they, that's why they would studio was pushing him to cast somebody more bankable because they didn't think she was. And, you know, he stuck with it and I think he made a better movie as a result. But I also think that they take a tiny bit of a hit at the box office because of that. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, but I'm glad he stuck to his guns because she's the right person for the role. Why are so stuck? many people, there seems to be this, Relentless. I, I don't agree with this myself. I happen to really like the Fincher mer- version much more than the original uh, Danish, Norwegian, um, Swedish version. But uh, many, many people are saying, you know, it just isn't that much better. And I really like the first one. And I don't really see what the point was other than to make money. And, you know, that, that keeps popping up. That, yeah, that well, because people get used to a certain version of it. You know, you're, you're probably dealing with the hardcore fans who might have you know, watch the first one a couple times just because they love the book so much. And you also have to realize that something like this, when it's based on a book, people already are directing the movie in their heads as they read the book. And there's no way whatever David Fincher does can live up to the movie they directed in their heads already. It's going to disappoint them in some way, shape, or form. It's, it's inevitable. You know, you can't avoid that. So that's what's happening here, you know. Yeah. So. What's that thumping noise? Somebody drumming somewhere? Oh, hey? I don't know. <laughs> Jeff, are I, you drumming? I, I just have a couple of uh, keystrokes. I'm not drumming. Oh, okay. I thought because sometimes when I'm with with you, Jeff, he does this funny thing where he'll drum. He'll like air drum on the oh, seat or whatever. Uh, oh, you know, it's funny. He's it's fidgety. He doesn't like to sit still, so he'll move around and fidget a little bit and Sorry. drum. And... You're right. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. But, um, all right, Phil. Well, that's good. So good news for Dragon Tattoo. Hugo, I think, was worth making even if it wasn't going to hit the box office. So fine, you know. I want to just uh, forecast that, uh, you know, a couple weeks from now we're going to be talking about one of the great uh, 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 anger issues for me of of the early 2012, which is the action crowd, the people that are love action films, uh, conceivably um, uh, not supporting uh, Steven Soderbergh's Haywire, which to me is this year's <clears throat> drive. It is, uh, it's, 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 you know, pruned down and it's realistic and, and it doesn't have the, the CG, uh, you know, horseshit um, uh, that, that it's uh, uh, characterizes so many action films. And uh, I, I think a lot of the Alex Billington people out there <laughs> like say, oh, this isn't a good action. This, isn't, this doesn't really do it. You know, I don't see that much support. You know, I just hate that because it's one of the best things I've ever seen. And by far the best, you know, like kick-ass martial arts film that I've, that I've come across in, in, I don't know, a long, long, long time. So, hmm. well, yeah, I mean, it's going to be depressing to watch because if I had to handicap it right now, I'd give the edge to contraband. 
in terms of box office grosses. I mean, mm. sight on scene, just just pegging it based because on what's going to be more like commercial. Wahlberg. Yeah, that's what people like. That's what they respond to. So much, it's, right? It's so- I saw the trailer for that, and I was like, that's the movie everybody's going to see. <laughs> yeah. They like to be spoon-fed everything. And you know, nobody they don't wants wanna... to see a genuinely thrilling woman kicking the shit out of various guys. I mean, I, th- I was like saying, this is the best thing I've ever seen in this realm because for the first time in my life, I mean, my life, I believe that this woman easily is the tougher uh, ombre, you know, no question about it. It's not just editing and making a woman seem like, like with Jolie and in, uh, in Salt. This is really the real thing. That doesn't make, mean anything to anybody at all. Uh, I, my take is that people are just used to going on a ride and that if the movie isn't going to give them that... They're it like, is a ride. It no, is but a it's ride. not the kind of ride you're... I mean, like, I, I had a total, like, mind-opening experience when I saw Sherlock Holmes because I never go see movies like that. And I was amazed at the at the huge scope of it, the costly, big, giant, blockbustery scope Completely of it. Completely empty, steampunk portrait. It is. Portrait. It's horse shit, but it, it takes you to another place. It's like going on an amusement park ride, oh, and I think oh, audiences are conditioned to that. And if Why it's not, are you putting down Haywire? Have you seen it? No, I'm not putting down Haywire. I'm explaining to you why people are, are going to go to the Mark Wahlberg movie. <laughs> I don't <think laughs> they are. In they know Mark Wahlberg, they, they sense that it's going to be another efficient you know, possibly in the realm, in the realm of, uh, you know, you name it. Maybe a, maybe a kind of a born thing on some level. Maybe a, maybe a, maybe a little Mission Impossible action. You know, something like that, right? And they feel comfortable with that. I understand that feeling. But does a new flavor, a new way of doing something that's novel, that's new, ever get into people's heads? Do they have to always reject the new every single time? Is when something- I, I wouldn't write it off yet. I mean... It, and then, you know, the, the fact that Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is doing so well, I think maybe bodes well for it because it says that there is an audience for, you know, a movie about a girl kicking ass like this. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so don't – I wouldn't write it off yet. I think if any – you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it's a movie that opens soft, opens to like seven or eight million and then, you know, hangs around. And Isn't that really, what Drive did? No, Drive was like 11 and it probably ended up closer to 40, I think, okay. when all, everything was said and done. So – you know, it's stuck in there, and you know this. This could do the same thing, um, you know, because I, I believe there is an audience for it. But yeah, no, it's you know, the edge goes to contraband. You know, no, <laughs> no question. Nobody really knows who Gina Carano Carano is outside of people that follow kickboxing matches and yeah, and those people don't like intelligent action movies, so it's kind of exactly yeah you know, contradiction. It doesn't exactly um, smother you with uh, you know Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy vibes. It's a pretty <laughs> So Why did you laugh at that? <laughs> because I guess that we can we can finally call that what you know the the, the sort of the esoteric like all the way down on the other end of the esoteric line, right? Of like things people will not understand or go see. Is that right? Well, that movie, um, uh, even Thomas. Um, uh, why did I just forget his last name? Alfredson. Uh, knowledge at the premiere. He says, "I hope you understand it." He's he knows that he's made a very dense, uh, uh, not that easy to penetrate uh, movie with lots of subtle clues, and uh, you know it's very tough to make a make a Jean Le Carré film work the way those long forms do because uh, I think Jean Le Carré's uh, novels are dense to the point that they need long form to really really come alive. And right. uh, 
So that's what happened with Aaron. But I just think it's funny to imagine you saying that. Like, Haywire is not exactly Tinker Tailor Soldiers. <laughs> it's not. It's uh, it's very, you know, you know, Soderbergh, he knows how to do action. I mean, what am, what is my one of my favorite revenge uh, uh, guy uh, with a gun in his pocket movies? Uh, by far, the, the Limey. It's, it's, it's a oh, really yeah. good film. Oh, you know? and Out of Sight is great, too. Yeah. Okay. I mean, he knows what he's doing. He's not some, you know remote uh, guy living in some ivory tower who doesn't really care about the action genre. He knows what's, what's required. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Well, okay. So, <clears throat> but basically the big story of the year is, is mission impossible four, right? Phil. We, uh, in terms of, well, no, uh, not the year, the end of the year stuff. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's, um, you know, it's huge overseas. It's well past 300 million already and 141 uh, million here. And, Good, more power to it. I mean, I'm a I'm a huge fan of the thing. I think it's the way every single blockbuster action movie like that should be done because um, I got a genuine kick out of it. I was I don't agree you know, with that at all. It's just I didn't see it, darn it all. Oh, well, wow. it, it Mission Impossible deliberately ignores uh, physics and reality. And <laughs> <laughs> well, so does every blockbuster. I mean, they're, they're going to do it anyway. They might as well make it fun and engaging. That's, that's and capitulation think... to the prevailing corporate aesthetic, which is that blockbusters cannot convey what it really feels like. Exciting, thrilling, scary as hell to be, uh, you know, running down a street trying to catch a car or any number of, of uh, scenarios in an action realm that could uh, really knock your head off if you were actually in that yourself. Nobody wants to go there. They all want cartoon. They all want extreme. They all want Tom Cruise being grabbed by his ankle or he'll fall 130 stories. It's all horseshit, you know? It's, it's, it, and it could be, I could really feel thrilled with that kind of stuff because nobody likes this stuff better than I. But I get offended every time they do uh, these things where people jump off five-story buildings and suddenly a, a mattress inflates and saves them from breaking their back and splitting their head open. It's all, it's all crap. You know, I, I don't, I don't agree that it's, uh, uh, it's what everybody loves. I mean, there's, there's gotta be other people besides me who really, really respect action. I mean, I respect and love worship great action. I love, you know, I love drive. I love, uh, the parts of drive that are really good. I love bullet. I love the action scenes in drive. <clears throat> there's got to be more people out there like me that, that, that just don't feel involved by this stuff because it's cartoons. It's, it's, it's extreme um, fantasy action that has no relation whatsoever to what it's like in the world out there that has certain physical laws. That's out the window. It's been out for the window since the days of uh, Crouching Tiger. I mean, it's, it, and we're never going to go back because uh, to, people like... The people that, are, that, that love the Mission Impossible film, I had a pretty good time with it. I mean, I didn't hate it, but I still was saying, why can't they make something that really, you know, really matters and really um, echoes uh, in terms of the, there's this pesky, annoying, irksome thing. It's called what things are really like, what the reality of the world is. Nobody wants to go there. Everything, we've crossed over the Rubicon, and there's never going to be any... No, it's escapism, you know, dude. That's what it's all about. It's you know? not all about that. Escapism is feeling those surging, scary emotions that you and I, Sasha, are never going to feel. We're going to be behind our desk and taking care of kids and going to the market all our lives and going to Europe and going to film festivals. We're never going to feel that stuff. The escapism is to go into those worlds that are 
you know, conceivable and they're real. And, you know, there are people that, that deal in intelligence and there are people that carry guns around and shoot other people because they're the enemy and that kind of stuff. That's 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 big escapism for me, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's Why over. Have it's to over. Be in the There's realm no... of damn comic book all the time, you know. But, Why does but... it have to be so... So there's no fight. Unfortunately, fantasy. It's good to put that out there, but there's no stemming that tide. That's long. Yeah, gone. no, I, I understand that there is no stemming it, but it's it's really a shame because. And you know, you know, for that matter, it's been around since movies themselves. You know, Dwester Keaton used to do the same kind of thing. They just didn't have the special effects, the the perils of Pauline, you know, or, uh, you know, fantasy has been in in you know in film from the beginning because it's the magic of what people can do on screen that they can't do in real life. It's the whole point of it, right? It wasn't you know, anything that happened in the General or Sherlock Junior. in Buster Keaton classics that wasn't part wasn't conceivable in a physical um, realm that was real. I mean, it was it was the magic of his cutting, and he was a wonderful athlete, and he knew how to cut these films just perfectly. But there wasn't anything that he did that was out of the realm of, of, of physical possibility. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. I, I think that they would have if they could have done it. They, if they wanted to have that virus in their system, they would have welcomed it into their systems, you're saying. I think that it's part of the fantasy of movies is to watch people do what humans can't do. Sure. Get the girl, for instance, when the when the gross nerd gets the girl at the end of a movie. <laughs> no, there's exaggerating action. There's exaggerating what is possible, you know, and what we will accept. And then there's off-the-charts ridiculousness, which is what has happened in the last 12, 15 years. Yeah. And I'm I, why am I the only person saying this? It's so ridiculous. And, I, and there are people that are starved and begging for stuff that you can really get turned on by because there's a little voice in you telling you, you know, this isn't too crazy. This could actually happen. I love this. Wow, that's scary. That was so great. You know, all that stuff. Nobody seems to give a shit about this except for me and maybe a thousand other people in the world. I don't know what's going on here, but it's, it's really depressing. Hmm. And, you're, and you're, you're fine with that. I can hear it in your voice. You're, you're, you're like... Waiting for me to run out of breath so we can. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm actually wondering what Phil thinks about it, to tell you the truth. I was waiting for him to say something if he wanted to. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, I come, I'm on your side on this, Jeff, you know, for the most part. I mean, I, I enjoyed Drive much more than I did Mission Impossible 4. Or I'd rather Fat see five, dri- five drives a year to, yeah. to one Mission Impossible, but that's just not going to happen because, you know, it's, it's the, reality, the financial reality. Drive made. You know, thirty-five, forty million, and, and Mission Impossible is doing you know obscene business worldwide. It's you're you're feeding the beast. Um, what would you feel when Tom Cruise drives off the uh, the the parking structure thing and drops yeah. in that car? You know, about twenty, twenty-five feet. Well, that's classic. You know, the deeper you're into a movie, the more you can get away with. Um, I I was watching it and it took me out of it, but the audience by that point they're they've got the hook in their you know cheek. There, you can take them wherever you want to take them, and that's what they did with that. But for me, you know, I'll always remember the Dubai sequence. I think it's a, a legitimately good thing, and I think it's being um, given a bad rap just because it's in a blockbuster movie. Um, you know, I think it's legitimately a, a good sequence. Um, so take that for what it's worth. But yeah. all right, well, the, the despair of the moment is more. <laughs> <laughs> But in the end, do I think that it's a bad thing that the movies are about 
That's not my, I mean, you choose your battles. For me, the thing that bothers me about it is that, like I've said before on the show, like I say all the time, is that we're just growing branded consumers, you know, and that, and that that's an example of that. And I'm glad the movie is sort of good because other movies aren't, and you don't have to do a whole lot to get people to get a $100 million movie now. You just figure out, you give people less choices, you brand them, you herd them, and you show them this is the formula, and the formula works. Mm -hmm. And you don't see this in other countries. It's only in America, the branding, consumerism, and that's what really bothers me. And um, the content of the movie, the imagination of it, not so much, but the branding of it, yeah, that bothers me. Tracking the, I mean, the marketing office. materials, what people are said, here we go again with one of these films that you had responded to previously. Yes. And here we go again. We've got different actors, but different locale, we you know, different story, but you know what we're doing. It's yeah, the same thing. We put thing. a four behind it. And what yeah. happened was I tracked box office going back 20 years. I, I tracked the top 20 mm-hmm. of the box office per year. And I was trying to see what kind of movies... I mean, I already knew the answer, of course, right? Because you know that as you move toward now, you're going to see animated films, family films, and branded sequels like Mission Impossible 3, like all the Fast, you know, the fast and Furious movies. And, you know, it's just this kind of... It's unfortunate that the, that the advertising has figured out exactly how people respond to things and that they're finally fi- um, able to really control the public in that way. And that's what bothers me, you know. Um, back in the 80s and stuff, you saw in the top 20, you saw movies that were dramas, adult dramas. You saw movies that were starring women and, and yeah. people of color and <laughs> actual movies with real writers. You rarely saw a sequel. Maybe once or twice one would pop up. But now it's all sequels. Yeah. All the top 20 is all sequels. I, yeah. With yeah. the exception of a few that come out now and then, like The Help or Bridesmaids or something that just surprises you and it's original and it's not, I mean, you know, you could say Bridesmaids is maybe branded because it's Apatow and it's Kristen Wiig, but The Help certainly wasn't, you know, it came out of nowhere and, and, and people will say, well, I mean, The Help is nothing compared to what they used to have at the top of the box office back way back when. It's nothing compared to those kind of movies. It's just that it's sad to see adults have stopped paying for movies. And the demographic that does pay for them is the kind of demographic that has been raised as branded consumers and it's been a mm-hmm. concerted effort and it's worked and it pays off so yeah oh by the way i'm getting my um uh, fuck you you fucking fuck t-shirt by the way they just oh told- man how'd you get that i asked steve elzer could i please have one? Oh shoot i was oh, feeling so that, that- special there for a while <laughs> <laughs> i just want I to, to be the only cool. one that had one <laughs> Oh, Steve's in charge of that? I'll have to send him a note. I, don't, I like Oh, one. no. Phil's going to get one, too. We should have, we should have a... I deal with Steve. Steve sends the grosses every Sunday. Oh, let's do so, an yeah. Oscar poker picture with all three of us wearing that shirt. <laughs> Wouldn't that be funny? <laughs> we need a we picture. Should. I know. Well, we'll never be in the same town, so forget that. But maybe we can take pictures of ourselves in it and morph it together or something. Yes. Nice. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, Phil. Well, I guess we can we can um, unhook you from your fishing hook in your cheek. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks again for having me. Guys. And we get to talk about I'll the talk. producers' guild. No, well, let's just uh, we're not going to have time to do this. But let, let's let's really go over the the coming year and next week. We can talk about the producers' guild, but let's let's do that next next week. All right. Okay, sounds good. I just I think we just lost Phil. I anyway. think we did. We didn't get to say goodbye. Bye, okay. Phil. <laughs>
Okay. All right. So you were t- you were telling me before we started this that there's two significant things that uh, came out of the uh, uh, Produ- Producers Guild uh, uh, nominee- nominees, which happened this morning. And the first one was uh, Dragon Tattoos being in among them. And the other one was, I forget the other one. I think it was Bridesmaids and, and Ides of March. Ides of March was okay. the most surprising. Like, I predicted right. them. I got almost, I didn't, I only predicted eight. And I put my alternate as Bridesmaids. So if I had predicted Bridesmaids as my, I mean, I did nine. If I had predicted Bridesmaids as my 10th, I would have gotten nine out of the 10 right, except right. for Ides of March. And usually that's sort of my track record with them as I get around nine right which is so weird because it has become so predictable this awards race but anyway um Ides of March is one that kind of Chris Tapley had been championing early on but just sort of didn't seem to be gaining that kind of awards traction so it gets a little bit of a boost from the Golden Globes and now from the Producers Guild so we'll see where it goes from there but uh, all the big discussion online of course is the internet is angry that Drive and Tree of Life were shut out and they're all wondering why Bridesmaids uh. <clears throat> Bridesmaids was in, I guess. Everybody's sort of attacking Bridesmaids now. And, of course, Universal's hoping for a Best Picture nomination for Bridesmaids. And um, it would certainly be as unusual as a Tree of Life nomination for Best Picture. Both of them are long shots. And If Bridesmaids were to be uh, nominated <clears throat> for a Best uh, Picture uh, Oscar nomination. That, I mean, that would be um, kind of cool. I, I wouldn't have any issue with that, and it's I would think same that's here. I like that. I do too. I was telling them actually that it didn't. You know, it's not like I hate the movie. I think it's funny and you know sweet in a lot of ways. It's yeah. just that they don't. I mean, in terms of doing this stupid Oscar dance, it's like they just don't honor those kind of movies ever. Yeah. Great yeah. comedies have gone totally unrewarded by the Academy. Oh sure. So it could be a step forward for comedies if it got right. in. Right. And um, you certainly can't argue with the $160 million box office and the fact that it's all women, you know. Yep. So it has a lot going for it. Um, but you, you you can't, with both Tree of Life and Bridesmaids, you get back to the movie itself, the content. And Bridesmaids is, from the very beginning, a raunchy comedy. You know, yep. it's raunchy. The right. The closest thing I could find to it would be Sideways or Little Miss Sunshine, those two movies. Um, they're not raunchy in the slightest. No, one of them. They're not. But Little Miss Sunshine is the only one I can think of that's kind of similar. To, or Juno. How about Juno? Yeah. Okay. Juno is sort of similar to Bridesmaids. Yeah. Except for Bridesmaids has a thing where it just won't go past a certain layer. Like Juno did. It got deeper. Little right. Miss Sunshine did. But Bridesmaids never does. It's always at that kind of surfaced comedy level, you know? Right. But mm. I didn't hate the movie. I love Melissa McCarthy in it, and I love all the other bridesmaids. It's funny. You know, John Hamm is, like, one of the funniest characters ever in a movie in that. He's like, you are no longer my number three. <laughs> Two are on the road. <laughs> and after funny. they sleep together, he's like, I'm really sorry to have to ask you this, but can you leave? <laughs> That's <laughs> so funny. Terrible. Uh, so, anyway, more power to him. You know, great. I hope it does get, get a nomination but I'd really be happy if Dragon Tattoo did. That's the one I'm going to be pushing for. So, mm-hmm. And Moneyball. Great for Moneyball showing up yeah. there. You know, Seems to be pretty solid. So yeah. next Monday, the Directors Guild will be nominated. And that is really your 
your indicator. That, that's pretty major. Now, is that yeah. going to come out in the early morning? When do they usually do that? Do you recall? It's like 9 or 10. I mean, I have to chase them down because I think they announce them live at the DGA. Uh-huh. And I think that it's just a matter of who can fumble toward their phone faster. Sometimes yeah. I've been able to get them on the phone and, and they're not released yet. And I say, could you just give them to me really fast? And sometimes they'll go, okay, it's so-and-so. And they, they write them and I type them out. And put, but those uh-huh. days are kind of gone. So right. I would look for Steve Pond to have them because I have a feeling he's going to go. Yeah. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure you got to predict that it's going to be the artist has an avicious. It's going to be Spielberg for War Horse. It's going to be Woody Allen for Midnight in Paris, Martin Scorsese for Hugo, and... Who's the fifth? Who am I forgetting? No, Alexander Payne. Alexander Payne for The Descendants, yeah. Mm. The one I would love to see, the, 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 the things to watch for is how strong Moneyball is. If Bennett Miller gets a nomination, then Moneyball could win Best Picture. If um, People don't like it enough, apparently. It's not, it doesn't uh, do what they want a sports movie to do. They, they see it as a sports movie and therefore uh, half a notch down from other yeah. big movies. And, you know, it's... I've talked to people that I know are capable and are very, very shrewd, smart uh, consumers. Of, of really, of, they know what's good. They know what's pretty good. They, they, they know, and they don't like it as much as I do. I, I, yeah. I've given up. You know. Well, Oscar winners. I've been watching hideous ones lately. I watched The English Patient a couple of times, and you know, mm-hmm. uh, they have to take you to that level of intensity, emotional intensity. If they never get there. You know, even a movie like No Country got there. Hurt Locker certainly did. Slumdog did. They all take you right to that intense emotional moment. And if if a movie doesn't have that, and Moneyball doesn't really have one, uh, Descendants does. It has that part with um, with George Clooney saying goodbye to his wife. That's certainly Moneyball does have that one in the Kansas City game when uh, uh, the, the first base, baseman hits the home run. Yeah, and and, and uh, it has that. Wonderful epiphany when they talk about the metaphor of the overweight guy hitting the home run. Oh yeah, totally. And not realizing it. I mean, that's a, that's a very tender. It's uh, so good that movie. I've seen it now like six times, and it's just so yeah. great, so rich. Yeah. The writing is so good. The characters are so well drawn. Jonah Hill is wonderful. Yeah. Um, the other in, m- emotional intensity in that is Billy Bean's life having become yeah. a loser and how he can't go onto this to the field but it's subtle you know it's a yeah. subtle movie it's much more of an oscar nominee and not a winner whereas the winners always have to have that and unfortunately i hate to say it but warhorse certainly does it's got enough cheese ball in it to maybe prevent it from winning but it, it definitely has the emotional intensity going for it for sure uh and the help does uh Emotionally wrenching scenes you're t- you're looking for at least one. God, they're all through the English. I patient. have not. I don't remember. Uh, last year was it was a very painful thing for me. But I don't. <laughs> I don't remember feeling this much contempt for so many best picture contenders as I as I genuinely do with all my heart. I feel great contempt for films. I don't know where that's coming from. I don't feel contempt. I feel a little disappointed in how the years turned out. But a lot of the heat... For their, for their being celebrated as best pictures. If people like... Because these, what else are they going to pick? You know, Melancholia? No, they're not going to pick that. I mean, it's like Drive? Never. They're not going to pick these artsy-fartsy critics' movies. They're just not. They're going to pick movies that the public likes. And of those movies, and, and movies that take, you know, I don't know what to say about it, except yeah. that mm-hmm. the best picture race is almost always about the director, except mm-hmm. for in the case of The Help and in Bridesmaids. But... 
right. certainly with um, Woody Allen and Martin Scorsese and Steven Spielberg and Alexander Payne. All of those movies are doing well because people love those directors and they're happy with how mm-hmm. the risks they're taking at this point in their careers. Woody right. Allen's not really taking a risk. He's more like it's a return to form, but it's such good form. People are so grateful to have him back that they want mm-hmm. to celebrate him. Right. And um, Alexander Payne has yet to be celebrated. He's a great director. Um, and Martin Scorsese's done something totally new and different in his career. He's stretched and he's done something weird. Even Steven Spielberg, you know, flailing in that direction, has done mm-hmm. something risky with his career there. With, uh, with his the- last chance to be seen as a, as a director who can, in an extraordinary uh, situation with extraordinary material, pull it out and not wallow in Spielbergisms is going to come next year. And we'll talk about this next week, but uh, if he can do something distinctive and, and special and not Spielberg-like with Lincoln, then he has a chance in his to be remembered as a, as a, as a man who occasionally uh, would would uh, would really be a good filmmaker. Yeah, you know? but you know, you don't always have great Oscar years, and I have to say, for all the time I've been covering the Oscars, which is a long time, um, I've never seen a year like last year for Best Picture. There were great films in the race. There wasn't a dog in the bunch, and for ten, the fact when the Academy opened it up to ten, it raised the level of quality of film of best picture nominees because anything was possible and they didn't do what they wanted it to do they wanted it to be a more inviting of public inter- you know of, of popular entertainment like the dark knight or whatever but it it did end up rewarding great films but now that we don't have 10 anymore people are scrambling back to the way it used to be and now that's why we're seeing i think such kind of mediocre choices but in the end i do think that you can't really look at the one of the reasons this year is so disappointing is because last year was so exceptional so i think if you can just try to get erase the potential of how great movies can be from last year stop typing while i'm talking i'm sorry i'm sorry if you can Go erase I'm, that I'm sorry. i don't mean to be uh, rude i'm sorry no it's okay it's all right it's just that you can hear it on the thing okay um if you erase that feeling of last year and you just try to look at this year as a unique year, then it's a little bit better, I think. But okay. I do agree that, like, with Black Swan and The Fighter and True Grit and Social Network and The King's Speech, Kids Are All Right, Winter's Bone. I mean, these are great movies, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and you just didn't see that kind of diversity this year. We don't even have a Winter's Bone, for God's sake, you know. Yeah. So yeah. we're not seeing a lot of diverse films. We're seeing a weak year coming out of a really great year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so right. let's let's uh, let's let's think about what we're gonna, about talking about twenty twelve next next week and next weekend rather. Uh, I will be in Palm Springs. That's very easy, obviously, to, to do uh, with you. So I'll do it from there. Okay, sounds good. Uh, I mean, we're not n- next week, but four days or five days from now. What is this? Tuesday? Five, five six days from now? Mm-hmm. Five days from now? So um, I'm going to go out there. But by the way, have you? Um, you're, you have never gone out to the Palm Springs Film Festival, right? Mm-hmm. No. Nor have I ever. I, this is my f- very first time. Are they and, asking you to cover it? Well, I asked if I could come out for 
three, four days because I thought it would be interesting to see several films that I have not seen yet, including uh, Salmon Fishing in Yemen, which is the uh, Lassie Hellstrom thing that I, that I missed in uh, Toronto. And, I've, and there's a lot of events, and, you know, there's George Clooney, a lot of people uh, are going to be out there. So, you know, I, uh, it's not going to, I found a really um, inexpensive travelodge for only 65 a night, and um, it's not going to cost anything to get out there. So, how Sounds fun. Like, That's great. Yeah. No, they've been wanting me to cover that. Not in person, but sending releases and stuff to, to yeah. post. But I never really do because it doesn't seem... I mean, I know they're probably trying to get to be like where the Santa Barbara Film Festival is, you know, or like where Telluride is. And they maybe they'll get there eventually, but right now they're still considered like a small... It's a, it's a strong number two level um, festival, but I, I, I never went before because I had to be careful about, uh, you know... The, it, January is never a big time for me financially. I got to be, uh, you know, kind of keep myself on a tight leash, and I could not afford to do that. Plus, uh, Park City, Utah, so uh, which I always oh, do. Oh yeah, and that's coming up soon, huh? Everybody, leave. I leave on the 18th, as does Chris Tapley. Chris Tapley was talking to people on Twitter about wanting to drive there. I said, Chris, you really don't want to do that. That's like 11, 12 hours of driving. By the time you get there, you are whipped for that. That. Even the next day, it takes the all, all day to recover. That's so interesting. So is this his first year covering Sundance? Yeah, he'll, he will never have been. This is his first year. He's staying at what he describes as the hit-fix condo with, uh, you know, Drew McQueenie and others, wherever that is. And he's going to be there on Wednesday, he said. So I'm oh, going to be there on Wednesday also. I always like to get there a day before, get my <clears throat> get all set up, get my, and then hit the ground running the next morning. No kidding. Wow, wow, that's great. Yeah. And it's wonderful, as I've said, for several years uh, to get out of the uh, of the whole, you know, Oscar watching and just drop it for for nine, ten days. Oh yeah, because because when I go to Santa Barbara, which you do, and you will probably be doing, uh, then it's right back into that because oh, every yeah. night at Santa Barbara is a consideration or contemplation of some major Oscar contender because Roger Durling gets all these people to come up doing special tribute nights almost every night and that's all it is so and then right. we'll hopefully we'll be doing our our uh, oscar blogger chit chat thing at santa barbara like last yeah, year yeah like it's so santa barbara was so fun i just remember finding out about tom hooper up there when he won the dga <laughs> just, i'll never that, forget the very same day i don't remember was that it was happened? during the festival we found out about oh yeah it. yeah I, it might have been after we did our panel or something i don't know but that was a shocker yeah so you know well, okay. Well, well he's got a, a big one uh, coming up this year, of course. What, what's your – just say one thing. What do you think is going to happen with that? Have you ever seen Les Miserables, the, the musical? Do you I think never he, got it. I never caught it. I never got to see that, no. But, you um, know, Anne Hathaway, everybody's been talking about how she really is a good singer and she gets to finally sing for real and, and uh, this is a – you know, it could be pretty, pretty strong stuff. It's going to be a December release. And, I think it's going to be probably really good. I have a feeling that, that this is a sort of Tom Hooper's um, comfort zone. I think he'll be good in it. I don't know. Because he understands historical film because he did the John Adams and he did pretty well with that. Is that what you mean? Yeah, because he's subtle. Yeah. His subtlety showed with with all through, with, even with the King's speech, it was subtle. So I think with a... Like Spielberg is the wrong person to direct. Like if I think if Tom Hooper had directed War Horse, it would have been really good. Yeah. 
you know, because Tom Hooper knows how to pull back and Steven Spielberg doesn't, and that they sit on opposite sides that way. But I, that's why I think he'll be good with Les Mis because it's a pretty melodramatic play, as I understand it. And yeah. so I think Hooper's touch will be better and, and more appreciated. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but that's my take. Okay. Well, I hope we can. Uh, this is. Uh, I'm sorry we missed last weekend, uh, but I'm glad we're back in the groove of it. And we obviously yeah. have to be very, very disciplined about doing this because this is the home stretch. And almost you know, done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we do it all year, and then we start to peter out when Oscar yeah. season comes around. Yeah. <laughs> well, I hope you start to feel a little bit better about about the movies because you know you gotta you gotta feel some passion for what you're doing, or else it's, it really is a drag and a slog. The season in and of itself is the passion. The the, yeah. the the films that are being kicked around are the ones, obviously, that people are focusing on more than the ones that just opened, did re- relatively good or didn't do so well, re- well-reviewed. Not You know, if you're in the, in the final thing, that is its own reward. Yeah, sure. I mean, I feel like, for me, it's like the little mini triumphs are what yeah. get me through, like, this yeah. year my mini triumph will be if I can make something happen with Dragon Tattoo or... Not yeah. make something happen, but, you know, if something happens with Dragon Tattoo, yeah. it'll make me happy. Stir the conversation enough so that maybe others will pick maybe, it up. Maybe, and... or, you know, and I'm happy to see Hugo doing well. And, you know, yeah. I know you didn't like that movie so much, but for me, I'm, I'm happy about him doing it and it, that it right. got done and that it's being recognized even despite its box office. And sure. Yep. Also, I'd like, to, you know, I'd really like to see Viola Davis win because I think she deserves to. And I think it's... Uh, would be a great thing for for black women if if a black actress could win. If it. that happened, that would be completely uh, applauded in this corner. I can tell you, even though she's not a best actress in that film, it's still she's a great actress. Everybody knows it. She's been deserving it for years. She was wonderful in uh, in um, in in uh, Doubt, and I I think she's great. So if she wins, terrific. Can't can't wait. Yeah. Um, so little mini triumphs. Look for those. Yeah. Okay. All right, I'll, darling. We're going to talk uh, Sunday and uh, try and see. A separation. I will. Yes. <laughs> it's right at the top of my list of movies to see. Got to see it. <laughs> All right. Happy New I'd Year. Still love to go to, I'd still love to go to the old place with you one of I these. I know. We've got to make that happen, years. too. You know? Yeah. It's we'll just do. a matter of meeting out at Malibu Canyon uh, or somewhere out there and just driving it. It'll be Fun. It'll be yeah, different. I know it would be fun. I can't wait. We got to do it. I just—it's hard. Always hard to get our schedules let's to. Just, let's just go as a group, you know. <laughs> okay, maybe we could do that. Go as a yeah. group. Maybe we could have like an Oscar party there. There we go. Yeah. Okay. All right. We'll All have right, a nice care. one. All right. Bye. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Oscar Poker with Jeffrey Wells from HollywoodElsewhere.com, Phil Contrino from BoxOffice.com and Sasha Stone from AwardsDaily.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Oscar Podcast. And the bumper music was I Put a Spell on You, covered by The Kills, and Johnny Cash, God's Gonna Cut You Down. Go tell that long-tongued liar Go and tell that midnight rider Tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter Tell him that God's gonna cut him down Tell him that God's gonna cut him down Well, my goodness gracious, let me tell you the news My head's been wet with the midnight dew I've been down on bended knee Talking to the man from Galilee He spoke to me with a voice so sweet I thought I heard the shuffle of angels sweet 
He called my name and my heart stood still When he said, John, go do my will Go tell that long-tongued liar Go and tell that midnight rider Tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter Tell him that God's gonna cut him down Tell him that God's gonna cut him down You can run on for a long time Run on for a long time Run on for a long time Sooner or later gotta cut you down Sooner or later gotta cut you down Well you may throw your rock Hide your hand Working in the dark against your fellow man But as sure as God made black and white What's done in the dark will be brought to the light You can run on for a long time Run on for a long time Run on for a long time Sooner or later gotta cut you down Sooner or later gotta cut you down Go tell that long-tongued liar Go and tell that midnight rider Tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter Tell him that God's gonna cut you down Tell him that God's gonna cut you down Tell him that God's gonna cut you down